0: Uh, We're in 2 Kings chapter 8, as I mentioned, and we're going to have as our text verses 7 through 15. We'll read the text, 2 Kings 8, beginning at verse 7. Then Elisha came to Damascus. Now King Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, was sick, and it was told him, saying, the man of God has come here. The king said to Hazael, take a gift in your hand and go to meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord by him, saying, will I recover from this sickness? So as Hazael went to meet him and took a gift in his hand, even every kind of good thing of Damascus, 40 camels loads, and he came and stood before him and said, your son, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, has sent me to you, saying, Will I recover from this sickness? Then Elisha said to him, Go, say to him, you will surely recover, but the Lord has shown me that he will certainly die. He fixed his gaze on him until he was ashamed, and the man of God wept. Hazael said, Why does my Lord weep? Then he answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the sons of Israel. Their strongholds you will set on fire, and their young men you will kill with the sword, and their little ones you will dash in pieces, and their women with child you will rip up. Then Hazael said, But what is your servant who is but a dog that he should do this great thing? And Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you will be king over Aram. So he departed from Elisha and returned to his master, who said to him, What did Elisha say to you? And he answered, He told me that you would surely recover. On the following day, he took the cover and dipped it in water and spread it on his face so that he died. And Hazael became king in his place. Disturbing story, uh, nonetheless, from God's word. We come to another great drama in the ministry of Elisha. It's a drama indeed. And I want to remind us of one of the introductory comments we made a long time ago. One of my favorite little Tyndale commentaries is uh, DJ Wiseman. He said the stories, like the history as a whole, that is 1st and 2nd Kings, are given a theological emphasis. And the theological emphasis in our passage today, I believe, is revealed in the repetition of the words in verse 10, the Lord has shown me, and then again in verse 13, the Lord has shown me. And uh, our Our title today, uh, related to this in particular, we're noting that Ben-Hadad will die and that Hazael will become king. And our title is this, A Murder Foretold by God. And every one of these messages, I'm trying to make sure that I remind myself and you that it's all about God. It's not so much about the man Elisha, but it's about God behind him. And even here, it's God who showed Elisha, what would happen in these tragic events that go way beyond many years, and, and we'll see that in a moment when we get there. So verse 7, we'll work through the passage. May you be encouraged. It's, it's a tough passage to, to, to read, to teach, to preach, so I covet your prayers that God would uh, meet with us even now. Verse 7, then Elisha came to Damascus, and now Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, was sick And it was told him, saying, the man of God has come here. So Elisha uh, was possibly in his home at Samaria, and he travels to Damascus up north, about 120 miles. It's a long way. Imagine riding a donkey or walking or however he got to Damascus, but he went to Damascus. We don't know why he went to Damascus, except for the obvious that he had this prophecy that he would give to the king to Hazael, uh, It's interesting. Matthew Henry said maybe he went to visit Naaman whom he healed years earlier. We don't know. A lot of there's a lot more questions sometimes than answers in these historical passages. But he comes to Damascus, the capital of the Aramaeans, and that's of course where Ben Hadad, uh, which is Ben Hadad II, I believe, king of Aram around uh, 843, 842 B.C. And that's when this occurred. Now, this king of Aram, he knew Elisha because he had healed. What was the king of Aram's uh, captain? What was his name? Do you remember? Naaman. Yes, Naaman. And he was healed of what? Leprosy. So the king knew about Elisha through that incident and then he also knew when he was having plans to attack Israel, uh, somehow Elisha, uh, not somehow, God showed him what was going to happen, and he was stymied, and the, the king of Aram here, Ben-Hadad II, his 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 counselor said, hey, Elisha knows what you say in your bedroom. Uh, so he knew of Elisha through that as well. And then in that same event, the Aramaeans came down to capture Elisha and remember the great uh, army of God, the angels were there, uh, invisible, and then the, the enemy was blinded, and Elisha led them right into Samaria. And, and then they ended up giving food to the Aramans. It was an incredible story, and they were at peace for many years. So think about this in the backstory story when you read about the king of Aram, Ben-Hadad. He experienced all these things over the years with Elisha. But nonetheless, Elisha goes to Damascus for a purpose, indeed the Lord's purpose. Ben-Hadad is very sick and so he sends this message. Am I going to recover? He, he goes to this man. He, he knew that, that, that Elisha had some power from Jehovah, the God of Israel. Uh, it's interesting. He doesn't say go to have him pray for me, go to have, or bring him here to tell me about the God of Israel. He just wants to know um, you know, to get help. So we'll see that in a moment. But it's note that the, the timing, that Elisha just happens to show up when the king of Aram needs help. And we noted that in the last chapter when the Shunammite woman just happens to show up when the king was speaking about her. So we see God's sovereign plan once again. And we'll note in the first place that behold... The Lord used his prophets to direct his enemies for his purposes. Aram was an enemy of Israel, but God has a purpose behind it, and he's sending his own prophet, not only to, to Israel and Judah, but to the Aramaeans, to the king, and Elisha is going to give information, not information that anyone really wants except Hazael, and it's actually grievous information, but the Lord is, has directed his prophet Elisha, to direct the enemies of God. So God has many purposes here that we'll begin to see. And I thought of Isaiah 40. Behold, the nations are like a drop from the what? From the bucket. The nations are nothing compared to God and he will use them as he will. And we see that all through the Bible from the beginning to end. And further, I thought of Job 12.16. Do you know Job 12.16? Turn over there, it's just one verse. Job 12, verse 16. Job is speaking about the power of God. In verse 16 he says, With him, that is with God, are strength and sound wisdom. Now get these last few words in part B. The misled and the misleader belong to him. The misled and the misleader belong to God. Those are sobering words, very sobering words. And when you consider, and we read the end of our section here, what Hazael will become, we see that it is the hand of God who has sound wisdom and indeed the king of Aram and Hazael and all of the world are in the hand of God to do his purposes. The misled and the misleader. Not phrases we would use, but Job, by the Holy Spirit, told us such. Verse 8, back to our text in Second Kings 8. Verse 8, the king said to Hazael, apparently his right-hand man, it doesn't say his office, but he was maybe the prime minister, we don't know. But he says to Hazael, take a gift in your hand and go to meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord by him, saying, Will I recover from this sickness? Now, Elijah, if you remember back in First Kings, was told to anoint Hazael. We don't have a record if he did it. I will assume that he did. He, he definitely anointed Elisha, but Elijah was commanded to anoint Hazael, king over Aram, and Jehu, king over Israel, and then Elisha, as prophet in his place. First Kings nineteen. So there's some backstory here, and we don't know how much um, Elijah told Elisha about this. Maybe he, maybe Elisha witnessed it. Maybe Elijah went immediately and anointed Hazael, and it was for years to come that he would become king. We don't know, but that's a little bit of backstory to think about. And this Hazael, according to Assyrian records, was known as the son of a nobody. He didn't have any lineage; he was not a descendant uh, of the Aramans' uh, leadership, the kings. He was not a son of uh, Hadad, although he will have a son and name him Ben Hadad as well, the third. So it gets really confusing. But he was apparently the son of a nobody. He wasn't the son of the king yet. He became infamous. And you will see his name over the next few chapters causing great grief. But thinking of Ben-Hadad a bit more. How can Ben-Hadad go and and speak of the man of God, inquire of the Lord? Uh, Some authors think that he was saved. Uh, I don't see it that way. I think he's sort of like Herod or Jehoram who wanted to get the information. He just wanted to know, am I going to die? He didn't say, tell me more about the Lord. He didn't say, help me to repent of my idolatry. Uh, I don't have such a gracious view as others have. A lot of, again, we don't know the answer to a lot of these questions. You can chew on it and think about it, but at least he's inquiring from Elisha, will I recover from this sickness? The king is concerned to find out about the future of his life. So he goes to Elisha. Now, Hazael promptly obeys, similar to the Shunammite woman, when Elisha told him to go and she went. Hazael also was told, go and he went. And it's maybe the the language uh, in the Hebrew or the culture, but it's interesting that we see the same phraseology, go and do, go and she went, go and he went. There's this coming and going continually in these historical passages. So verse 9, So Hazael went to meet him and took a gift in his hand, obviously not in his hand, because it was even every kind of good thing from of Damascus. Forty camels, loads, lots of stuff. And he came and stood before him and said, Your son, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, has sent me to you, saying, Will I recover from this sickness? There must have been an entourage bringing all this stuff. Picture 40 camels loads. That's a lot of stuff that you can pile up on a camel. And it reminded me of when Naaman came and he brought with him, with himself, maybe from the king at that time, uh, 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of beautiful clothing. So we've seen this before. When you want to get something, you 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 grease the wheels of, of industry, as they say. Uh, maybe a bribe, maybe just a, a big-time thank you coming from the king to get the prophet's attention. So Hazael brings all this stuff to Elisha. And verse 10, Elisha said to him, as soon as he asked the question, he answered it. Go and say to him, say to the king, you will surely recover. But, but the Lord has shown me that he will certainly die. So there's good news and there's really bad news. The good news is that the king will not die of his current sickness. But the bad news is he will certainly die. And we're going to find out more details in a moment. But again, did you note those words? The Lord has shown me. The Lord has shown me, repeated in verse 13. What could we consider? Very basically, at times, the prophets of the Lord were shown the future. They were foretelling the future. Sometimes it was thousands of years in the future. Sometimes it was the next day. But the prophets of God, the prophets of the Lord, were shown the future. I don't believe they walked around and anyone could say, hey, just tell me, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? They didn't have every piece of information They didn't have this innate knowledge of what was coming, particularly the Lord had shown him. And again, the the emphasis of the Bible is not so much on the prophets, but on the God of the prophets. And I think that helps me, and maybe even the title, or the the, the broader title of the study was um, The Life and Times of Elisha. Well, it's really all about God. It's all about the Lord and his work through his prophets for the people of Israel. What does this teach us, that the prophets were given this knowledge? It shows the Lord's omniscience. Omniscience. And that means what? That the Lord knows all things. It also, as one of my previous teachers taught me, when you know the future, God knows the future, that implies fixity, which points back to God's sovereignty. God knows what's going to happen because he planned it that way. So the perfect knowledge of the future shows God's omniscience, but also his sovereignty. God is amazing. We worship him even in a passage like this. The Lord has shown me the omniscience of God. He's worthy of our worship. And here it's all toward this king of Aram. Yet God has purposes behind his purpose, if you will. Verse 11 A difficult verse. He fixed his gaze steadily on him until he was ashamed. And the man of God wept. Now, the Holman Christian Standard translates it this way. Then Elisha stared steadily at him until Hazael was ashamed. Now, either way you take it, uh, there's some intensity here that these men have locked eyes because something is more significant then the king of Aram is going to die. It's how is he going to die? And we're going to hear in a moment, Elisha knows a lot more, and they have fixed eyes, and I I take it as the Holman uh, Christian Standard translates it. Elisha is staring at Hazael, and Hazael becomes ashamed, or maybe convicted. It's unclear how much he knew, but If we take this verse in this way, he is ashamed, he is convicted, maybe, of what he's premeditating. We don't know. You can chew on that. Uh, Two authors said, Elisha's icy stare indicates that Hazael had already plotted the king's death. Maybe, we can't say for sure, but as quick as he takes action, I would tend to believe as such. We'll keep moving forward. These words, and the man of God wept. We'll pause here for a moment. The man of God wept. See his sympathy. See the, this powerful prophet that, that was in the face of various kings and was bringing uh, words of judgment and even the, the lads who cursed him and he called down the bears. Here we see Elisha weeping. He's weeping. So learn in the third place, the Lord and his prophets were grieved at the judgments he brought upon his disobedient people. The Lord and his prophets were grieved at the judgments he brought upon his disobedient people. Davis says there's an element of divine sadness in his judgment. It's grievous Though the prophets of God were angered at the sins of God's people, they also wept over God's punishment of them. They would call for the judgment of God's people, and yet they would weep over that very judgment. You can read a whole book of the Bible that is filled with tears, which is the book of what? Lamentations, or in the Greek, tears. That's the name of a book of the Bible. And it's all about God's judgment on his people and the reaction in the words of Jeremiah, praying to God with great grief. And he, he is the, the weeping prophet. And in Lamentation 3.33, he said, The Lord does not afflict willingly. The Lord does not afflict willingly. He, he doesn't take delight in punishing his people. Listen to Ezekiel 33 11. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Aram? No, O house of Israel. He's speaking to the Israelites in a different context. But it's that same mindset that caused Elisha to grieve that God was going to judge the house of Israel. And God takes no pleasure in that. It grieved, it grieves his heart. And it grieved the prophet as well. Turn over to Luke 19. Luke 19, and maybe you've already went here in your mind. Luke 19 of our Lord will have two examples that we get a picture of God, if we want to know God, we look at Jesus. Look how Jesus responded in Luke 19, verse 41 through 44. And Jesus, he approached Jerusalem. He saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day even you the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Some very similar words about... Jerusalem being judged, even in 70 A.D., destroyed. Even the children will be destroyed within them. And then turn over to Matthew 23, a parallel idea. Matthew 23, verse 37. Those familiar words, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. Jesus was grieving over the hardness of heart and the wickedness of Israel, of his people, of Jerusalem, even for 800 years later, the same types of sins and the same types of gr- type of grief. Maybe we could learn something from Elisha and from our Lord about our attitude toward God's judgments. We ought to be grieved. We might even weep over God's punishments, whether correcting his people or even in the world. It reminds me even of the proverb, do not rejoice when your enemy falls. When we see God's judgment, we don't laugh and and mock, we, we grieve. Back to 2 Kings chapter 8. I think I'll always remember Elisha wept. Elisha wept. Verse 12. Hazael said, Why does my Lord weep? Then he answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the sons of Israel. Their strongholds you will set on fire, and their young men you will kill with the sword, and their little ones you will dash in pieces, and their women with child you will rip up. Elisha has good reason to weep. The judgment of God is coming upon Israel in a horrific... And this language you could find elsewhere in Hosea, Amos, uh, and 2 Kings 15. This language of what's happening to the young men, the little ones, and even the women with babies in their wombs. This is judgment language. We, we read it elsewhere in the Bible. And soberly in the fourth place learn that God used evil men... To punish his disobedient people. God used evil men to punish his disobedient people. The misled and the misleader belong to him. God ordains whatever comes to pass. And he used and he would use, it's prophesied here, Hazael to punish the people of Israel. Now, we need to read further in 2 Kings to find and discover this. Uh, if If you're there in 2 Kings, turn over to chapter 10. Chapter 10, listen to verse 32 and 33. In those days, the Lord began to cut off portions from Israel, and Hazael defeated them throughout the territory of Israel. From the Jordan eastward, And all the land of Gilead, and the Gadites, and the Reubenites, and the Manassites, from Aror, which is by the valley of the Arnon, even Gilead and Bashan, from north to south, from east to west, God was going to cut off part, parts of the tribes of Israel. How? By the hand of Hazael. God would use his enemies to punish his own people. His ways are beyond finding out. And if you turn back in your map, if you have a map in the back of your Bible, and again, I look forward to John's slide presentation. Maybe he can show us this in the future. But if you look at maybe the divided kingdoms of Israel and Judah, or or possibly if you have the 12 tribes of Israel you can find the dimensions of what God was doing. Obviously, Jordan runs through the center of the country from the Jordan eastward, so going east, all the land of Gilead, whether that's uh, Jabesh Gilead or Ramoth Gilead from the Jordan east, and then the Gadites, they have the whole territory from the Sea of Galilee all the way down to uh, right above the Dead Sea, and then you'll see uh, the Reubenites right below Gad, east of the of the Dead Sea, uh, the Manassites going way north from Gad all the way to Aram. All of that territory would be attacked by Hazael. And you can find the rivers and the places. Bashan is all the way north, almost to uh, right above, I believe, uh, Hiram, if I remember correctly. So it's... The majority of Israel, 50% or more, would be attacked by Hazael. And even Judah would be attacked as well. But God would cut off portions from Israel by the hand of Hazael. It's mentioned later in Second Kings 13, So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and He gave them continually into the hand of Who? Hazael, king of Aram, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad the III, the son of Hazael. So, Elisha is weeping. Why? Because Hazael is going to have decades of attacks and, and destruction upon the people of Israel. That's why he's weeping. He, God showed him what's coming. So he's weeping, and now he tells Hazael the specifics, the details. As a matter of fact, 2 Kings 13.22 says, Now Hazael, king of Aram, has oppressed Israel all the days of King Jehoahaz. He had this long, uh, ongoing assault on the people of God. Why? Why was God punishing Israel? Primarily for their what? Idolatry. For their idolatry, their unfaithfulness to God. God is a jealous God and He takes sin seriously. That's why we need the cross of Christ. Because God has to deal with sin and punishing sinners whether in hell or on the cross. And that's why we need Jesus. Because God's wrath must come upon sin. And it's revealed over and over in these stories. And God calls us to holiness and to follow Him with the whole heart. He will not be shared with other gods. Well, then continuing 2 Kings 8 verse 13. Then Hazael said, But what is your servant, who is but a dog, that he might, that he should do this great thing? Again, how do you read this between the lines? Chew on it, meditate on it. And Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you will be king over Aram. Hazael was ashamed earlier, but here he's saying, I would never do such a thing. Either he was so foolish about his own wicked heart that I'll never do that. I could never do all that. Or he secretly has a plan and he's just speaking in this way. We don't know. But nonetheless, Elisha says, you will be king. And being king means he will do all the things that we read about. All the punishments. And again, surely Elijah told Elisha or Elisha saw that Elijah had anointed him. Again, we don't know for sure. But that was part of God's command to Elijah. Again, I thought of Isaiah 55. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Can you imagine The complexities of all of this that God orchestrated to punish his people? And yet, reading much later, Hazael will be punished for the very thing God appointed him to do. Amos 1, 3 and 4, So I will send fire on the house of Hazael, and it will consume the citadels of Ben-Hadad for all that he did to Israel and Judah. God's ways are beyond finding out that he could use his enemies to punish his people and then punish his enemies for the same thing. It makes us bow down and worship our sovereign Lord that he would accomplish such mighty things for his name's sake. Verse 14. So he departed from Elisha, that is, departed from Elisha and returned to his master who said to him, what did Elisha say to you? What did he say? I want to know. Am I going to live? And he answered, he told me that you would surely recover. Well, that's partly true. He wouldn't die from that sickness, but it wasn't the whole truth. And again, there's more questions here and I'm sure your brain's thinking, but let's take... Let's look at what we know. He goes back, he tells his king this, but he only tells part one of what the prophet said. Surely he didn't want to tell the king, I'm about to become king in your place. Remember, the prophet said, he won't die from the sickness, but he will die in another way. And that comes in verse 15. On the following day, just one day later, he, Hazael, took the cover, the cover, maybe it's the blanket, some say like the mosquito net, some type of cover that was around the king laying in his bed, he dipped it in water, maybe pretending to cool him off if it was was hot, he dipped it in water and spread it on the face of King Ben-Hadad so that he died. And Hazael became king in his place. He, however premeditated it was, whether it was been going on for months and even years, or just that walk home back to the the palace, or that next day when he was thinking, wow, I'm going to be king, maybe I need to make it happen. We don't know, but he murders King Ben-Hadad. He suffocates him. The Bible is graphic, shocking. And yet remember all those points we said about how Hazael would accomplish the purpose of God and yet be punished for it. Lesson five, woe unto Hazael, the murderous usurper. This man is wicked. Not only what he does to the king, but what he'll do and kill hundreds and thousands of Israelites and Judeans and attack Israel, God's people, for decades. Turn over to Proverbs 14.2. I just read this morning. I love the Proverbs. I encourage you to read them daily. Proverbs 14.2 says, He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but part B. But he who is devious in his ways despises him. You want to see an example of deviousness, you can find Hazael in the way that he was caring for this old sick king and he puts a wet cloth over his face and murders him to become king in his place. He is devious. Or Psalm 55, 21, another description of this type of man. Psalm 55, 21, speaking of David's Friends who had become enemies or family members, but it applies here. His speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. He came, you're going to survive, king. And maybe the next morning when he's having his morning nap, he suffocates them. He's a wicked, evil man. He spoke kindness, but inwardly he had a curse for the king. Remember, there's six things which the Lord hates, seven which are an abomination to him. And one of those things are hands that shed innocent blood. Now, Ben-Hadad wasn't innocent per se, and all that he did, he was a wicked man. But he was laying there sick, and he was murdered. And yet, this Ben-Hadad would rule for about 43 years, 843 to 800 B.C. How could it be that such a wicked man would be appointed by God to judge his own people and be left to rule for 40 years? And it's all because of the idolatry of the Israelites who were unfaithful to God, and he punished them severely, severely. They didn't learn the lesson from the famines from the attacks, from the warnings of Elijah and Elisha, and seeing their kings killed, they didn't learn. They were hard-hearted. They needed a new heart. Grievous. And yet we see God's purposes march forward. Just in review, and then if you have questions or comments. We noted in the first place, "...behold, the Lord used his prophets to direct his enemies for his purposes." His and their enemies. Second, at times the prophets of the Lord were shown the future for the purpose of revealing God's omniscience and his omnipotence, his sovereign power. Third, the Lord and his prophets were grieved at the judgments he brought upon his disobedient people. The Lord does not afflict willingly. Even as our Lord Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Fourth, God used evil men to punish his disobedient people. It's right there. It's not enjoyable to read. It's not a happy story, but it's God's plan. May he be praised. And finally, we said, Woe unto Hazael, the murderous usurper. What a warning of how not to live... And again, Elisha, no wonder he was weeping. He saw a vision of all that would happen to his people. It was grievous, grievous to the very end. What are your comments or questions about this incredible passage? Yes, brother. Yes, it grieves God's heart and we are also grieved. And and I think the more we become like God, the more we will be that way. Um, Yes. Lamentations has a lot about this that that topic. Uh, Elisha wept. Jeremiah wept. Our Lord Jesus wept. Yes. What else? Comments or questions? There's all sorts of questions, uh, John, about that. Um, you will surely recover. We don't believe, well, I don't believe Elisha sinned here. So, lied, whatever he said. I mean, I, I'm taking it sort of in a basic way. He won't die of this illness, but you'll die of another. But we can't, we can't say much. Um, it, it, it is a very difficult uh, passage, and some people have accused Elisha of that. Were you going to add something? Yeah, I would just say that yes, we know God is not the author of sin, and um, and yet he is purposeful. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a sobering read. I mean, maybe I thought of the people that were appointed to put Jesus to death. That was according to God's plan, yet they were wicked, evil men. As you said, Hazael was wicked. And God knew for sure what he would do. And um, that's why he was probably convicted. And then Elisha weeps. Yes. I encourage you when you study passages like this, there are so many questions. Um, you, you sort of work through them, chew on them, but seek to g- grab what we can. And here I think the main point is the Lord has shown me. So we see God above this challenging passage and we can trust Him and worship Him and look to Him. Yes, struggle through the difficulties. I've been struggling all week through them. Uh, I hope you were not discouraged, but encouraged with the, the character of our God. Okay. Well, with that, we'll close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do worship You. Lord, we are amazed at Your sovereignty, at Your omniscience, at Your judgments, at Your wrath. Lord, we thank you for your grace that we saw in the previous chapter, that this unmerited kindness and favor that you show to the undeserving. Lord, it's amazing that anyone is saved when we consider our sins. Why would we offer any complaint in view of our own sins? Lord, you rule and you reign, and we seek to exalt you. May you illuminate your word and help us to remember the lessons from Passages like this that are not easy to read, but it's your work in history. And Father, may we be more like you to grieve at even the punishment of wickedness, to weep over it as Christ did over the hard-hearted Jews at his time, and even looking at 70 AD. Lord, we see your judgment around the world. We see your wrath evident, and we want to be like you to have Soft, gracious hearts, not rejoicing when people are punished, but grieving. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.